And for our second scripture reading today, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,502-1502. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think I have, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it find entrance into God's kingdom. When I was young, before I was a Christian, I remember being in a conversation with a friend of mine and, and her, mo her mom. And we began to discuss spiritual matters, things of God. And this, this mom mentioned to us that, that she liked the God of the, the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. Now back then I only had a rudimentary knowledge of, of the Bible, but I, I knew enough to sense that something was off with what she was saying. After all, isn't the, the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Of course, I was young and ignorant, so I just kept my mouth shut. But it seems like in every generation there is an attack of some form or another against the Old Testament. Today is coming from a man named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of, a, of Amer one of America's largest megachurches. And what he's asking for is for Christians to unhitch the Old Testament from their faith. And what he means by this is that, is that the Old Testament... It's just not relevant enough. It's not relevant for the Christian walk, and it's not relevant for the Christian witness. And he's gone so far as to say even this. The Ten Commandments have no authority over you. None. To be clear, thou shalt not obey the Ten Commandments. Now to be fair, Pastor Stanley still believes that the Old Testament is God's word, but what he has essentially done is, is to create an unnecessary and false dichotomy between the Old and the New Testament. He has fallen under the, the common misconception that in Jesus, God changed directions and began working in a different way. This is a dangerous teaching for a variety of reasons. One, it, it cuts people off from much of God's word. 
which is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Two, it, it brings a misunderstanding of much of the, of the New Testament. For, for there is a strong connection between the, between the old and the new. And each one, they, they, they help to interpret the other. And finally, as we'll see in our text from today, Pastor Stanley's view of the Old Testament is in opposition to Christ's view. But before we look at our text again, I want to I give you a brief outline of what Jesus is doing in, in these four verses. First, in verse 17, he begins by, by showing the purpose of the Old Testament. Then, in, in verse 18, he, he continues his thought by addressing both the scope and the duration of the Old Testament's authority. And finally, in verses 19 and 20, he speaks to the application of the Old Testament. Now, if this seems a, a bit confusing at first, just be patient, because as we, as we move through the text, it, it should become clearer. So what exactly does Jesus think about the Old Testament? We begin with purpose. Look at Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If you remember, Jesus had started off his sermon, not, not with the law, but with God's blessings. And it is through his blessings that a person receives their new identity. They become salt and light. In other words, their, their good deeds are, are seen by men to the glory of God. And now here, Jesus continues his message by saying, do not think. What he's doing is he is making certain that, that his disciples don't misconstrue what he has already said and what he is about to say. You see, one could mistakenly think that since Jesus began with, with blessings, that he has no use for God's law. And similarly, in the, in the verses following, verses 21 through 48, where Jesus is about to take his message, this could also be a cause for confusion. For he's going to say things like this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And so one could easily take a statement like that and think that Jesus is just changing the rules. This is not the case. Jesus wants to make, make it excruciatingly clear that his teaching does not go against the scriptures, as if he had come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is not what he's doing. Let, let's look at these two words that he mentions, law and prophets. When, when Jesus uses these in combination, he isn't just talking about laws or just talking about prophecies. No. You see, that that was the verbiage of Jesus' day, to refer to the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. 
So when Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, he is referring to all of God's written revelation at that time, which included God's laws and included his prophecies, but also much, much more. But if Jesus didn't come to abolish them, then what did he come for? His answer? To fulfill them. A while back when we, when we looked at Matthew's prologue in chapters 1 and 2, we saw that Matthew had made this consistent effort to, to demonstrate that this Jesus who he was writing about was the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. For, for he repeatedly quoted passages from Isaiah or, or Jeremiah proving this point. For example, in, in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23, uh, he says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so time and again, we, we see that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures through his actions. But now here, as we continue with his Sermon on the Mount, we will also see that he would fulfill the same scripture through his teaching as well. So what exactly does he mean when he says that he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets? What he's communicating is that, is that all of God's word is pointing to him. This is exactly what Jody said down there to the children. It doesn't matter if it's the creation count, account from Genesis 1, or if it's the laws that we read about in Leviticus. It could be the, the poetry of the Psalms, or some prophecy that, that, that we read in Ezekiel. Whatever it is, wherever it is in, in the scriptures, they all have one overarching purpose. They point to Christ. In other words, Jesus is the meaning of it all. We see this confirmed elsewhere in the New Testament. After he rose from the dead, Jesus uh, appeared to his disciples and, and broke bread with them. And in Luke's account, we read this. Look at Luke, verse, Luke 24, verses 44 through 45. He said to them, This is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. You see, Jesus had to, had to open their minds for them to fully understand God's word. They didn't yet have the, the, the New Testament to help them interpret the Old of course they didn't have it, right? They would be the ones who would write it. So Jesus, he had to instruct them on how to properly read their Old Testaments. They needed the, the, the right lens, if you will, so that they could see what God's word was really about. And this is what the, the Holy Spirit does for you as well. He, he opens your mind so that you may see Christ throughout his word. And when, and when he does this, what we find is that there is continuity between the old and the new. 
You see, what the old does is it points a person forward to Jesus. And then what the new does is it, it takes a look back upon Christ and expounds on his significance. Dear friends, don't fall for the myth that the, that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New. If you, if you only see the, the Old Testament as a set of laws or, or some sort of instruction manual, then you will never totally grasp God's greater purpose. When Jesus said that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, what he was saying is that they point to him. Another example of this comes to us from John's Gospel. There, there were some Jews who were questioning Jesus as to why he was healing on the Sabbath. And as part of his response, he, he said this, John 5, verse 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, it's, it's not so much about how, how Jesus relates to the Old Testament. No. It's more about how the Old Testament relates to Jesus. Christ is the interpreting lens. After all, he is the one who wrote it. And to reinforce his point that he had not come to abolish the Old Testament, he, he continues his argument in verse 18. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, if verse 17 dealt with the purpose of the Old Testament, that it is fulfilled in Christ, then, then in verse 18, Jesus lets us know both the scope and the duration of the Old Testament's authority. In other words, he, he, he tells us the extent of God's word that is authoritative, and he also tells us for how long it will be so. So first, the, the scope. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. When I took my class on biblical archaeology, my professor brought in for us some, some ancient scrolls to study. And so we got this up-close look at something similar to, to what Jesus would have been handling when he had read God's Word. Here's a, here's a picture that I took. Now, I know the quality is not the best. I took it with my iPhone back then. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, but if you can see, uh, the, I, I've circled in red some spots for you to pay attention to. Do you notice the, the light feathery lines that are coming off of these letters? You see that? Okay. These, these are there basically just for decorative purposes. They, they don't carry any meaning whatsoever. And, and, and this is what Jesus meant when he said the least stroke of a pen. What he was doing is he was using hyperbole 
to drive his point home. In other words, Jesus held to the highest possible view that one could have of the Old Testament. According to him, all of it was authoritative. Nothing could be changed or overwritten or questioned. Every single stroke was from the hand of God. It was all valid. But valid for how long? Verse 18 also speaks to the duration of the Old Testament. And Jesus gives us two until statements. Until heaven and earth disappear and until everything is accomplished. What he is basically saying is this. The Old Testament will be binding until it has completed its work. And its work will not be complete as long as there is a heaven and there is an earth. This notion that is tossed around today that we need to unhitch ourselves from the, from the Old Testament flies in the face of Jesus' teaching. It is still God's word. And it is active and powerful. And, it, and if we try to get rid of it, then we lose a strong, strong ally. For it points us to Christ, our only hope for salvation. Listen, you, can, you, you can't just set aside the law and the prophets without setting aside Jesus. But I digress. I, I think I've driven that point home enough today. Let's continue our study with verse 19. Here Jesus speaks to the application of the Old Testament. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, if the Old Testament is still functioning and binding, then what are the disciples of Christ to do with it? They are to practice it, and they are to teach it. The, the Greek word translated as break here is luo, and it means to loose or to release. And in the context of a command, it, it can be used to speak of breaking a rule. But here, Jesus is referring to something a bit more. I think the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, does a better job in reflecting this. Listen to how it's worded. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This word annul is, is the point that Jesus is getting at. He is, he is speaking about those who want to change or, or get rid of the Old Testament commands. They want to set aside some aspect of, of God's word in order to suit their own desires. And in this pursuit, they teach others to do the same. Jesus says that they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches God's word... They will be called great in God's kingdom. These are, are those who hold true to the authority of Scripture, 
They don't want to change it or annul it. Instead, they want to share it with others, understanding that it reveals God's will. In other words, they, they come to the Old Testament with the faith of a child. They don't question it. They simply trust and obey. And finally, in verse 20, Jesus finishes his thought with this comment. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now both the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were notorious for their, their stringent observation of God's commands. They were meticulous when it, when it came to things such as tithing. Or, or not working on the Sabbath. They, they had set down these special rules, if you will. For instance, with the tithing, they would tithe, you know, even their, their herbs and mints and dill. And with, with working on the Sabbath, they, they, would, they would limit how many steps they could take on that day. That's how meticulous they were. And these people were highly respected in their communities. For because of these things that they did, they had a righteousness that far exceeded those around them. So when Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. To say something like that had to be shocking to those who heard it. You see, Jesus, he was not being lenient here. He was not abolishing the law or the prophets. No. If anything, he was revealing to his disciples the great expectations that come from God's word. The demands of the Old Testament are so weighty that even the best of us will not find entrance into God's kingdom. James 2 verse 10 says this, Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I don't know about you, but I've committed more than one sin. Listen, the, the, the law demands absolute perfection. It does. And, then, and there's not one person who can live up to such a standard. Not even the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. You see, on the, on the outside, a man can do all the right things and live a life that is flawless. But God's word digs deeper than the flesh. It pierces into a man's heart and discerns his true motives. And when it, when it gets there, what it discovers is that these motives, the motives of the heart, are black and rotten. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Earlier this week, I sent out an email asking you this question. If the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were tediously strict when it came to obedience to God's law, 
then what type of righteousness do you need to enter the kingdom of heaven? Did you guys get a chance to think about it? The answer is this. You need a righteousness that is more than just exterior. You need a, a righteousness that, that digs deep within you to your very core. What you need is a new heart. This is what Elsie read about in our first scripture reading. Ezekiel 11 verse 19. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. What Jesus is looking for is a vessel that is clean from within. And this can only be found in a, in a person who has been given a new heart by the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. For only he can accomplish this task. Do you see it? Jesus is the only one who has such a heart. He is the only person who can, who can do a good deed altruistically. There is no selfishness. There is no pride getting in his way. He does his good works out of a pure devotion, out of, out of a pure love for both God and for you. He has that righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees that is greater than the, than the teachers of the law. And he offers this same righteousness to you. This is why he can claim that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, because he, he lived a, a sinless life. Not only sinless in deed, but sinless in his motives. And he died the death of a sinner. Something he didn't deserve, but something that you deserve and I deserve. What he does is he, he, he makes the great exchange. Taking upon your sin and giving to you his righteousness. For that is what you need. A righteousness that is not your own. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, and he will give to you his righteousness. He, he will implant within you a heart of flesh. He will make you clean on the inside. And then once he has done that, then you will be able to practice and to teach his commands. And you will be called great and the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, both the Old Testament and the New. And we are thankful for your Son, who fulfills Scripture. He did this so that, that we might have a, a righteousness not our own, 
in order that we might find salvation through him. We ask now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may read your word rightly and walk not in the flesh, but walk with him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.